have just as much effect in heaven as any other church on this planet. We may not have the big spank account, but the blessings of God rain down from God. And if He should want us to do more, He certainly is capable of making that happen. Let's not underestimate the power of a holy God working through the lives of people dedicated to Him. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father God, as we pause to remember the cost of our freedoms, Lord, the lives laid down. Lord God, as so much of this last week has been spent by me just agonizing in prayer, Lord, over where our nation has fallen to. Lord, we do believe and trust that you are able to turn this mighty ship We believe with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength that it's not over and that it's not too late. But it is very late in the day. And Father, we believe that a nation whose God is the Lord is blessed. And we believe that those who bless you are blessed by you. And so we do pray, Lord, for those serving right now in our military would they be touched by you? For the commanders-in-chief, would they be touched by you? For our commander-in-chief, would he be touched by you? Lord, for our Congress and our Senate, Lord, in so many ways, so self-absorbed with remaining in office and so blind to the realities of truth. We pray that you change them. We pray for those that Meet every day. Lord, we pray for Rick Santorum and Jim DeMint and Michelle Bachman, these leaders in our country who are bold in your name and in your power, and they tell people every day how great you are. Lord, would you strengthen them? Would you cause their numbers to increase? Would you cause our Congress and our Senate to repent of their sin? Lord, drive them to their knees. Lord, if you must strip away in order to build us up, then we ask you to do it. If these earthquakes and tornadoes, Lord, if the oil spills and the terrorist attacks are to get America focused on you, Jesus, then so be it. Lord, if there be another way, God, if the church could simply get busy about its father's business, Lord, strengthen us to that end. Lord, cause us to preach Christ crucified and Him alone for salvation. And Your Word is holy and true. And as we study it this morning, Lord, would You make us alive to receive it. Lord, change our hearts and change our minds. Strengthen us, we pray. Cause us to be Your witnesses. Lord, let us not lose savor as salt. Lord, let us never be dull and dark. Let us shine, Lord, for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5 now as we once again turn our attention to the Scriptures? One of the tremendous challenges that face our nation is this crippling debt that is heaped upon us from decades 
of spending money that we don't have. Printing money we don't have. We are indebting multiple generations of those who would come after us should the Lord tarry. I heard from congressman after congressman after congressman and senator after senator. Unless we change this. And by the way, I heard from two Democrats who said the same thing. So it's not a Republican issue. It's not a Democrat issue. It is a righteousness issue. It's understanding that you can't give everyone everything. That God's biblical standards for stewardship are clearly defined in Scripture. And they are immutable. And if you transgress them, we will suffer and are. And so here in this passage, oddly enough, I didn't plan to be here. This is where we are in this book. So I believe God has a message for the church. Verse 1 here in First Timothy 5, we'll go through verse 8 this morning. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Family of God, can I tell you that civility has fled our nation? That the honoring, I was quite frankly sickened by the dishonor that I saw in Washington, D.C. When you travel to the monuments, and whether, it doesn't matter which one it is, Lincoln or Jefferson, or more importantly, when you travel to the Vietnam Wall or the Korean War Memorial or the memorial to World War II, they are places that are as close to the sanctuary of God as you can get. You're looking at what freedom costs. When you stare up at that giant statue of Abraham Lincoln and you read there his second inaugural address and there are at least six direct quotations from Scripture in it. And when you gaze down the mall from one end to the other and you're staring at the Capitol building over the top of the Washington Monument and you realize that from one end to the other it speaks of honor and it speaks of glory and it speaks of freedom. It speaks of God's law being enacted in the hearts of the most unique institution of government ever in the course of human history. America is no accident. Were it not for America, the entire world right now would be communist. Do you know that? That's the only difference. Oh, we sided with Stalin during the Second World War, but he murdered 40 million of his own people. Because his brand of evil was less evil than that of Adolf Hitler. We spent 40 years in what's been known as the Cold War. We saw the fall of the Berlin Wall. But can I say to you, those were not inventions of modern time. The same was true of the Ottoman Empire. The same was true of the Grecian Empire. The same was true of the Roman Empire. 
The same was true of the Medes and the Persians. The same was true of the Egyptians. When government begins to try and give gifts to everyone to gain popularity, that nation is doomed. When there is no honor in the leaders, when there's no civility in society, that nation is doomed. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters, all with purity. And that word purity is actually very descriptively demanding sexual purity. Our country is in its greatest state of sexual impurity that has ever been in. We pump out sewage on the television and in the movies and in magazines and on the internet like no country has ever. Is it any wonder why 38% of all women have been sexually molested in their lifetime? Is it any wonder why 26% of all boys have been sexually molested in their lifetime? Is it any wonder why 52% of all marriages end in divorce? Is it any wonder that we now have more people cohabitating together than are married? This was not so 40 years ago. Family of God, 40 years ago. That's how fast a nation can come unwrapped and unglued when it strays from biblical principle. You want to know why the problems exist in Europe as they do? They fell away from God a long time ago, and they are further today than they were when it first began. Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn how to show piety at home and repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before the Lord. Do you see any government institutions here? It's not the responsibility of government to take care of parents and grandparents, nor widows who are truly widows. It's the job of people. It's not even the job of the church. It's the job of family. Now do you understand why we have so many people? Do you realize 37% of all Americans get a check from the federal government every month? It's not God's plan, family of God. It never was, and it still isn't. And it's unsustainable. And now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. 
You see, when anyone or any nation or any group of people begins to live only for themselves, they're dead while they're alive. You might change our national motto from in God we trust to in self we trust. Never before has narcissism swept through such a great majority of people than it is today. Families aren't worried about taking care of their own. They're worried about having a nice big fat house on a golf course when they get to be 55 years old. And I know that's not everybody, but family of God, it is a majority of Americans. It may be nobody in this room, but it is a majority of Americans. Because the church is no longer salt and light. The church is no longer teaching the truth. The church has caved into the same social programs that have befallen the average individual. The church has lost its savor. As I shared with you in the last two messages, when mainline denominations de- deny the plain teaching of Scripture, what do you think is going to happen in the marginal Christians in this world? If we who are pastors will not stand up and preach the truth in righteousness, then who will? You see, whether it's a she or whether it's a he, in this case, Paul is using the case of widows because, quite frankly, widows have always outnumbered widowers. They still do. And in that society, they were the most needy and the most common. But you notice how it's taken care of? And it goes on now. You got children, you got grandchildren. That's where the burden lies. But if there's no home, if parents and children haven't spoken to each other, if the parents are out with that lovely bumper sticker, I'm spending my children's inheritance. You know what Scripture says? That I am to leave to my children's children an inheritance. doesn't say because you earned it, go spend it. It says because you've earned it, do what's right with it. That money belongs to the Lord. Your house belongs to the Lord. Your cars belong to the Lord. And if we would all view what we have as belonging to the Lord and do with it as we should unto the Lord... We wouldn't need these massive spending programs. If families took care of their own, we wouldn't need the massive entitlement programs we have. But the problem is, that's not what we're doing. 
We are mortgaging our children's future for the sake of today. For the sake of a golf course home, for the sake of a new car every two or three years, for the sake of a 52-inch plasma screen, for the sake of bigger everything. And unless there is a generation that is willing to stand up and say, not on my watch, we're in trouble. Do you realize that two in every five tax dollars goes to Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. Two in every five tax dollars. That the average, and this is according to a congressman, not Jeff, Michelle Bachman, by the way, and if she runs, she loves Jesus. That the average for every American is they take out $4 from Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid for every one that they put in. Now, I don't know about you, but some simple math tells me that don't work for very long. It's because it's not God's plan. God's plan is I take care of my parents. God's plan is my sons take care of Connie and I when we get older. God's plan is that the family is so strong that it would never let those things happen to one of their own. That's God's plan. But when there's no value to life, when there is no care for your own, notice what it says next. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is the strongest statement in all of Scripture with regard to personal responsibility for the home. You see... The problem isn't that we need more. We need to manage what we have according to God's principles. The problem isn't that we need bigger government and more taxes. The problem is we need to spend them in a way that honors God. Not by buying more hideous art to stick on metro trains. Not by funding more after-school programs. You know why you need after-school programs? It's because mom and dad aren't living together. Because there's no one home to receive the kids. It's a fundamental breakdown of the family unit. It's that parents don't even care about their own kids, much less their own parents. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. But I want you to understand the problem. Because when it comes time to cast your ballot, you need to vote as a Christocrat. You need to vote as someone who believes that God's Word is true 
says what it means and means what it says. You need to vote for someone who will fiscally do the things necessary and they are frankly going to hurt. There is no way around it. Parents may need to move in with their kids. Oh, horrors. Gee, that's terrible. Maybe you're not going to be able to have that vacation home. Man, I don't know how I'll live without that. Maybe you're going to have to cut down to two cars instead of five. Oh, heavens! You might actually have to eat macaroni and cheese. Hallelujah. You see, the problem is not what we have, but what we do with what we have. For my Bible says that my God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And the problem is not that He hasn't met the needs. The problem is the wants have taken over. Surprise they don't have. That is the motto of the Congress. Give me what I want. We must change the course of our nation. Paul's instructing Timothy, and he had already previously, he said, set an example to the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. If the church won't do these things, we can never expect people who don't know the Lord to do them. If the church won't adjust, we can't keep going the direction we're going. You know what I heard? Person after person of young age, I have no hope. It's because they're smart enough to recognize that our nation's broke. Currently, our gross domestic product is less than our national debt. Currently, the cumulative effects of our debt is 53 trillion dollars. That accounts for future expenditures on things that have already been promised today. Our GDP is less than 15 trillion dollars. Do some simple math. That means if all we did was stockpile that money, we could provide for nothing for four straight years. Not one letter gets mailed. Not one military person gets paid. There is no one at NASA. And Congress goes home. Hallelujah might be a good idea. (laughs) But it starts with us having civil discourse. Telling people the truth and love. Saying you're willing to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. And I want to share with you and remind you that I am of the age of nearing this retirement. 
I'm in that group of people. Well, you know, I could just start collecting from the government. After all, I've paid in. You know, I looked at my Social Security statement. Do you realize in my lifetime, my lifetime, I have worked since I was 16 years old, full time. By the way, that would be 40 years. I have currently paid in a whopping $39,000 to Social Security. Thirty-nine grand. How long do you think that lasts if they pay me $2,400 a month if I retire? Let's see. Uh, ooh, that's tough math. And me as the government's in debt, how much interest do you think they get on money they don't have? You see, the problem is, when people retire at my age, they are draining the rest of society, perhaps for 30 or 40 years. We need to step up to the plate and say, you know what? No. I may be entitled to it, but I'm going to keep right on working. Thank you very much. And I'm going to keep depending, not on the government, but on my God. I'm going to stay a man of prayer. I'm willing to be tested. I'm willing to downsize my life. I'm willing to go where God sends me. I'm willing to sacrifice. And in the sense of true sacrifice, you want to see sacrifice? Go spend time with the families who've lost their kids, sucked out of their arms in a tornado. That's sacrifice. Sacrifice is not what we're going through. Tough, yes, and I don't want to demean anyone who's going through a hard time right now. And I do not mean to point fingers at anyone. I put myself first in line as I say these things to you. Am I willing to take responsibility for my parents? Am I willing to save so that my children will be taken care of if I die? Am I willing to make that life insurance payment so that my wife does not have to remarry should she decide she wants to stay in our home? You see, it's not the government's responsibility to provide a house for her. It's my responsibility. What? Life insurance? Oh, that costs a lot of money. Yes, it does, especially at my age. Especially someone who's had the medical diagnoses that I have. And praise God I had some foresight to see that coming. But you know what? It's not the government's responsibility. It's the family's responsibility to take care of their own. God established that. Not Jeff. Not some denominational group of people. Family supposed to take care of their own. Quite frankly, Ozzy and Harriet, Father Knows Best, and the Waltons provided a much clearer view of how this works out on a daily basis. It for sure is not what you're seeing on television today. 
Michelle Bachman said something that stood out to me. And Congressman Bachman absolutely loves the Lord Jesus, and she is a brilliant woman. Former tax attorney. She has five kids of her own. She's raised 28 foster kids with her husband. And she flat loves Jesus. But she said something interesting to me. She said there is a study being conducted right now that they have gotten the preliminary results to that they believe when it finally comes in that's going to show the cost of divorce in America at about $2.5 trillion a year. You know why that is? Because there's two homes instead of one. There's five cars instead of two. There's benefits being paid to both. Insurance paid to two families. I'll give you a perfect example. One that not only do I know is true because it's my life, but one that you can see quite clearly. The camp, our full-time employees have, full-time, they have health insurance. It's unbelievably costly. For a family, it's $1,300 a month. We pay that for every employee. But you know what's interesting? If you took the premium for Connie and I and added our two boys, it would be $1,700 a month if they were individually living somewhere else. But because they're in my home, it's $400 a month cheaper. It's a prime example of every cost of life. You see, it's not someone else's responsibility. My children are not your responsibility. My children are my responsibility. And God forbid it comes true, I'll live in a tent first. You see, we need to take these things seriously because I believe this is the path to fixing the problem. Does this exclude people from real need of being taken care of? Absolutely not. And that's why Paul is so clear here. God established true need. God establishes those older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. You see, the problem is, is we need to see each other as family. And if I do that, then I'm going to see my brother in need, and I will not, as Scripture says. I cannot, as Scripture commands. I would never, as Scripture admonishes me, harden my heart to that need. I'll do my part. Now, my part may not be enough, but if everyone does their part, if the church does its part, then we will succeed. Family of God, you all, through your giving to this ministry, through your faithful tithing to this ministry, fed 160 people last month for at least a week. The week before, about 175, representing 40 and 50 families. Whole families. That's what the church is supposed to do. And we do it. Are there things that we could buy? Yes. Are there other things we could do? Yes. 
But God commands us to take care of those less fortunate than we. It's not an option. When there is real need, we're to provide real help. But only when there's real need. The problem is a vast majority of need is not real need. It's laziness in the guise of need. It is failure to go and work hard in the guise of need. It's waiting for a management position in place of need. It's sitting around and doing nothing in place of need. Can I share with you? Need doesn't get supplied when you don't do anything. It's our responsibility to be all that we can possibly be as part of the solution. Problem is, we have raised two generations now, maybe three, of people who think the government owes them a living. But they should just stay home and be able to have what everybody else has who works like you do. Can I remind you, we already saw in our study there in Second Thessalonians, a man who does not work shall not eat in Jesus' name. You know why? Because after a few days of being hungry, you get off your duff and go do something. Is that strong? Yes, it is. And I say it intentionally so. Because I am sick to death of the entitlement mentality, the leeching off of the few to provide for way too many people who have no productive purpose in society. Can you imagine if we stopped paying for people who would not work? Your tax burden is going to go way down, folks. Because I can tell you right now, there's a lot of people in that category. But then you know what falls on us? We need to be productive members of society out creating jobs. Not storing up our wealth so that we can go do whatever we want to do with it, but making sure that other people have their needs met. Takes both things. As the body of Christ, we are, in a very large degree, a very large family. That's why we should treat each other as such. You ladies in here are my sisters and my mothers. You're not objects. You're not female. You're my sisters and my mothers. And you men are brothers and fathers to the rest of the body of Christ. We need to treat each other that way. Not like the world does, but like God's Word says to do. That fixes these problems. Because you know what? I'm not going to let my dad go hungry. I'm not going to disrespect him. I'm not going to maltreat my brother. Well, maybe. (laughs) Occasionally. But it always ends good. Do you get the picture? When we start looking at each other this way, we have a different heart towards each other. Now do you know why Scripture declares if you see that your brother has need? 
how can you harden your heart towards him? Because we're literally the family of God. The church provides for those things. The church has always provided for those things. That's why Paul recorded there in the book of Acts this generous giving that was done on behalf of the church in Jerusalem. Gentiles giving to Jews because they were their brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what it is about. It's not about me storing up for me. And before anyone loses sleep over it or thinks that I think you should go sell everything and live some ascetic lifestyle, get a monk's robe, sell your house and go live on a mountaintop someplace in some rocks, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, does God have access to your bank account? Can God tell you what to do with what He's given you? Will you respond when He speaks? That's hard to do, family of God. Because too many of us find our security in what we've got in the bank and not in our Lord God in heaven. And it needs to change. You see, most of this that's laid out here before us in this passage is really simple if you have the right view of God. If He's first and not 14th. If He truly is Lord. Oh, we love Jesus as Savior, amen? You should say amen. Because if He's not your Savior, you're damned. But do we love Him as much as Lord? Which means Master? Which means He calls the shots? And we do what He says? That's why it's so important that when we read the Word of God, we are doers, not just hearers only. Amen? It solves these kinds of problems. I am so blessed when I hear the stories of what you all do with this regard. Do you know what joy fills my heart as a pastor when I find out someone had some tremendous need and you all, because you're doers of the Word, go out and just simply meet it? I have smiles on my face for days. Some of the times the reason I'm walking around with such a crazy grin on my face is because I know you guys are doing these things. I get calls all the time. I'm talking to... Tony Perkins, when I'm in Washington, D.C., do you realize this church does more to do this than churches of thousands in many parts of America? But it needs to keep moving forward. We need to spread the news and keep doing more. You're going to find that when you hold on loosely to the things of God, and you give faithfully to the things of God, that He will give you more things so that He can see you give more. Connie and I have never been so blessed in our entire lives than we are now. But we've had a lot more money. We have never been so debt-free as we are right now, but we've had a lot more money. It all comes from having the right perspective.
comes from doing God's things God's way. You see, when we begin to see these things as a command of the Lord, then the real widow who is left alone has set her hopes on God will have her needs met. The body of Christ is going to go, not, not while I'm alive. But I want you to notice that word real. We've got a lot of fake widows. And I'm not talking about widows. I'm mainly talking about people who have purpose to say, well, you know, my husband left me. They're not widows at all. I've actually had ladies tell me that. Well, I'm a widow. My husband left. No, you're not a widow. Your husband's still alive. And just because you did not honor your marriage vows, just because you thought he didn't make enough money and you left him, or he left you, is not an excuse for the church to step in and take care of that. That is your responsibility. You need to repent. Now, are there times when there's nothing that spouse can do? Yes. Happens pretty frequently. But real widows are real widows. And notice that it gives a little bit of credence here to the fact that those who want to live any lavish lifestyle should not be taken care of at all. God forbid we have to downsize. God forbid maybe we need a smaller house. That is the scriptural way things work. We first sacrifice before we go asking for others to help. I cannot tell you how many people have come to me. Well, you know, I just can't make my mortgage payment. I ask them what the mortgage payment is. It's $2,800. More than half of my adult life, that's more than my take-home pay. Could it be that we've latched on to things that God never intended us to have? Could it be that we've engaged in lifestyle choices that God never intended us to engage in? Could it be that God is paring back and asking us to change the way we think and act and live? Oh, see, we don't like to hear that. I don't like to hear that. But I am telling you, that is the voice of God. Because we can't keep asking for more when we already have enough. We need to settle in and say, God, make me faithful with what I have. Give me no more than I'm supposed to have. Help me to see real needs and do something about them. Help me to give, in essence, until it costs me something. You see, that solves problems. For whoever does not provide, I love the way the New Revised Standard says it because it's a literal rendering from the Greek. Whoever does not provide for relatives, especially for family members, has denied the faith 
and is worse than an unbeliever. Do you know how broadly that sweeps across the economic problems in our nation? I believe that one verse enacted all by itself. Hear me well. And this is confirmed by stats and figures that I received this week. That one verse carried out in its full and true meaning that my responsibility is my family. Your responsibility is your family. Multiple generations, by the way, that if we did that, we could cut the federal budget by more than $3 trillion a year. $3 trillion. Because of cohabitation, because of divorce, because of separation within the family, because of failure to love and failure to lead and failure to be reconciled and failure to be doers of the word. More than 78% of the United States of America professes faith in Christ. To that 78%, I say, be ye therefore doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourself and needing a handout from the government. If we do it, if we preach it, if we'll go to the ballot box and vote for people who will carry it out, if we stop being politically correct, and if we start doing what God's called us to do, which is to be salt and light, we can fix it. But if we won't, we're in trouble. May we take upon ourselves the mantle of Christ and live as we've been commanded to live, which is sacrificially for the needs of others. Jesus himself gave us that admonition. For the Son of Man came not into this world to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We've been called to be servants of each other, especially to our own families. And then from our own families, we create a giant pool of servants who will go out and then serve the rest of mankind. That's how it works. And I pray that we do. And it's very fitting that today is Memorial Day, when so many have sacrificed for you to sit here, for me to stand here. It's got to start someplace, family of God, or we are in trouble. Let it start with us. Let's pray. Precious Father God, as the message that you have poured forth today is strong, and it's pointed, and maybe perhaps it has afflicted some, Lord, certainly not my intent, but your word is sharp, as a two-edged sword, and it does divide between soul and spirit and joint and marrow. May each of us in our own homes live out these things. May we live sacrificial lives. Lord, may we give of our own selves for the sake of others as you gave for us. Maybe we haven't had the opportunity to serve in the military, but we can serve at a food ministry 
we can see that need down the street and meet it. We can give up some of our own things for the sake of others. We can take care of our own. And Lord, we pray that you'd strengthen our will and resolve to do so. May we not shirk our duties. May we stand ever firm with these truths. God, help our nation. Cause us to repent, Lord. I fear for the world that my children are going to grow up in. And I know only you can fix it. Would you help us to do our part? We love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We bless you. It's in the precious name of our Savior Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Just stand. Give the Lord a praise offering before we pray for our offering here.